Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. Yeah, again, never lose sight of the race, right? Where are we actually in the race? And at this particular point, we're right in the middle of it. We're in the thick of it. And um, I think that's, we all think that's what the, the league is about right now. We've talked about over and over. It's a week-to-week league. And fortunately for us, we've played well enough at times to be right in the thick of it. So we're, we're um, to some degree, we're, we're in control of, of making our decisions and, and how we're going to practice and how we're going to play. And uh, we'll see how it turns out. He almost went there, Rich Basaccia. In some ways, control of our, he didn't say fate, uh, which the Raiders, I think, absolutely do have control of their fate. But Rich Basaccia wasn't ready to make that call uh, and kind of stopped himself uh, in mid-sentence and said, hey, control of the decisions we make and how we play and how we practice. Uh, but I'm going to finish that sentence for him. The Raiders are in control of their own fate. They're at 6-5. and five. They've worked their way into that position. Uh, they did it a little bit backwards, and I think most people assumed, um, you know, beat the Bengals, uh, see what happens against the Dallas Cowboys. But the important part, get to 6-5 and five at the very least with the last six games uh, looming. They lost to the Bengals. They go to Dallas and win a big, huge game that they had to have to get to 6-5. and five. They're right in the thick of the playoff race. Uh, and when you look at playing the Washington football team on Sunday and then the rest of the slate, those last five games are going to be against AFC West opponents and AFC opponents. All teams, every single team that the Raiders play from here on out in the AFC is involved in the AFC playoff race. So if the Raiders can knock off as many of them as they possibly can, they're going to put themselves in a great position to be in the postseason. And with that, I'm going to bring in our great co-host, Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, Lincoln, how are you doing, my man? Benny, how the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing okay? good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, and just to let everyone know, of course, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila in Bahadur. It is a Tuesday, uh, Raider Nation uh, Radio, 920 AM here in Las Vegas. Uh, Lincoln, as I just mentioned, uh, the Raiders woke up on Monday morning, took a look at things in spite of everything that's happened, um, on-field uh, injuries, drama, three-game losing streak coming out of the break. Despite it all, the Raiders have played their way into a position where they, in a lot of ways, can control their own destiny moving forward uh, and, and punch their ticket to the playoffs. Here they are, six games left. They're 6-5, and five and they're right in the thick of things. I told you that teams that win in November December can play in January. Now, I know the season's been extended, so the regular season now goes into January. But you, you, know, you get the gist of what I'm talking about. And with the Raiders, even with their three-game slide and them struggling at moments, it's good to see that they still control their own destiny. Look, I've always been one of those guys that didn't want to put their, put out there like, well, we need to win and we need some help. No, you win and let everything else take care of itself. And I think the Raiders are in position to do just that. Yeah, I agree. And, and Thursday was as close to a must-win as possible. Uh, six and five is one thing, and from where we stand and from where the Raiders stand, it certainly puts them in position to do some pretty special things down the stretch. Five and six, that would have been an uphill climb, but they avoided that by going into Dallas uh, and playing what we talked about all week leading up to it, uh, Lincoln, or I guess the few days that we had leading mm-hmm. up to that game on the short week. Um, but what we had been preaching for a while now, this isn't about 
talent. Lincoln, the Raiders stack up with basically every team they play against. Yes, there's a few teams where you might raise your eyebrow a little bit uh, on the talent level, but very few. There aren't that many teams that I look at and say the Raiders can't compete uh, with that particular team. What it boils down to and what the Raiders had kind of gotten away from during the three-game losing streak was just playing clean, efficient football where they weren't, um, you know, self-inflicting wounds and shooting themselves in the foot with uh, untimely penalties. They they got away from doing that um, on Thursday against the Dallas Cowboys, and look what happened. They, were, they, they had more than enough talent to go to Dallas and beat a pretty good Cowboys team. Well, yeah, I mean, look how the Dallas, uh, the Cowboys imploded with their penalties, how it cost them, basically cost them the game. Playing error, mentally free, a mental mistake-free football is one of the, uh, the premiums that you try to look forward to in the National Football League. And, look, I was impressed. I, I think coming out of that game Thursday, Vanny, what I, what I saw is I saw Derek Carr develop a confidence and a trust that's different than he's had with some of the current players on his team. We know what he has with Darren Waller. We know that that's there. We know what he has with Hunter Renfro. We know that's there. But to see him use Isaiah Jones the way he did, see Isaiah Jones show that he can make big plays, that one over Derek, as well as Deshaun Jackson, as well as, you know, Foster Moreau. Look, they're going to have to, recall, they're going to, have to rely on everybody going forward to, trip, to chip in and to contribute if this thing is going to really make a playoff team because they've got a lot of work in front of them. And as you mentioned, they've got some uh, hefty opponents coming up soon. Lincoln, I don't believe in coincidences, um, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to uh, excuses, but I'm going to go here. Um, it's no coincidence to me. It's no uh, big surprise to me that the Raiders' offensive lull that they kind of fell into coming out of the break um, kind of coincided with uh, losing Henry Ruggs, right? Um, and it, it was to expect them to replicate that, what they were working toward and had in a lot of ways arrived um, at with Henry in the offense and what that meant was unrealistic. Um, I felt like they were fortuitous. Um, the timing was great in order for a player of the caliber of Deshaun Jackson to be available uh, at the exact moment. The Raiders needed that exact type player to replace Henry Ruggs, but it wasn't going to happen overnight. There was going to be an acclimation period. Um, as Rich Bisaccia said, hey, it's tough to drop somebody into a middle of a movie and expect everything to be perfect. It's not going to be. Uh, but on Thursday, Lincoln, you you saw Deshaun Watson, his play snaps drop, uh, uh, rose to over 40 of the 87 plays that the uh, Raiders ran. He was involved in 40-some-odd of them, so about 48, almost 50% of the plays. Um, and you talked about the co comfort level that Derek Carr had and the confidence level that he had. He had it with Deshaun, Wat Deshaun Jackson from the get-go. And I think that, you know, the, the, the shot that they took downfield on the 50-yard touchdown, 50-plus-yard touchdown to start the game changed everything, and it opened things back up for that Raider offense. You know, when you have somebody, most people think that you just sell a wide receiver to run an out route, right. and he's going to run a normal out route. It's not that simple. The timing has to get down. The, the chemistry has to take place because, one, that quarterback has to realize or rely that the fact that a wide receiver is going to work to get open and find that space in that short window to get him open to, to throw him the football. So that takes time. There's no doubt in my mind that Deshaun Jackson was going to come on and he was going to get more plays as they went on. Look, they need him. They definitely need him. They need that long strike potential. And Isaiah Jones is another one that, uh, that has fit into that, prop, that, to that, that project as well. Just to see those two guys get some, some catches, to get some playing time was really exciting because I do believe you. I agree with you, Vinny. The, weapons, the Raiders have all the weapons they need. 
They just need to find a way to explore and use all of them as much as possible. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned this yesterday, Lincoln. Uh, I felt um, sitting up in the press box in Dallas. I don't know if you shared, um, you know, this, this feeling uh, a couple of doors down uh, in the broadcast booth, but that touchdown to Deshaun Jackson, um, it felt like it lifted a burden, uh, uh, you know, uh, off the Raiders' shoulders. I really felt like. And we, we've talked about this. You know, everyone talked, talks about, you know, have to have more discipline in terms of the silly penalties and the jumping off sides. The, the Raiders are playing fidgety, it felt like, um, in the three games prior to Thursday. It felt like there was some pressure that they were just playing under. Well, whether it was just in their own head, uh, they felt it, whatever the case, you know, losing Henry Ruggs, some of the drama that had happened, um, uh, you know, around this football team, it felt like it was a tense football team. And to me, it was leading to some uncharacteristic mental mistakes. And I felt like when they hit that big one to Deshaun Jackson, I remember looking over at the sidelines and it was just smiles and relief almost. Do you feel like, I mean, am I overreaching there to say that, you know, sometimes a play, one play can just change uh, the outlook and the trajectory and really the the demeanor. And I felt like they played free and easy from that point on. No, all it takes is one play. No, you're absolutely not reaching. All it takes is one play. And it can be in any given way. It can be a kickoff return. It can be a punt return. It can be a block punt. It can be a turnover. It can be anything. You know, in this case, when you have a high-impact, potent offense, as the Raiders do, the fact that they're able to utilize all their weapons – to make sure defenses are on their heels, that there is no one-two guy that you're going to go to. Look, I've seen enough times throughout this year that when Darren Waller is running some routes, how they try to bracket and double-team him, how a safety is going to come down and try to jump him, that leaves other people open. And up until last week, there weren't a whole lot of times where Derek was looking at that other option. But this week, this past week of the game, I saw Derek not only trust his offensive line, which is absolutely key, to, to, to protect him, but more importantly, he looked downfield and he waited for some intermediate and some long routes to come open, and that really devastated the defense. So, yeah, I agree with you. It is that one play that kind of sparks him. More importantly, you know what is Derek like? I think 6-0 and when he throws over 300 yards this year. So, right. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? It just You see what you have to do offensively to generate that type of impact and that type of potential. So Derek, amongst all, everyone, has to know how to utilize his weapons, how to know know how to get them. And more importantly, the coaches have to know how to scheme them in so they, they work into his eyesight. And I think that happened, and it wasn't just a one-trick type pony either, uh, Lincoln. They also ran the ball for 143 yards, um, <laughs> which makes all the difference in the world as well. And, wh- and whether it was, you know, was was taking the chances downfield, setting up the run, or was the run setting up, um, you know, some of the chances they took they took downfield, doesn't matter. It was working beautifully together, uh, kind of in concert, but it shows you when you're doing both things right, when you're getting production from the pass game, especially taking those shots downfield, uh, and then also being able to run the ball, that makes an offense really, really, really difficult to stop. Well, the reason why you have to be balanced more than anything is to help control the clock, to give your defense a rest. You can't, I mean, it's good to go out there and put touchdowns up and put the pressure on the opposing offense, but you saw how quickly Dallas could, could, could strike and got back in that game, forced to overtime. So, that's also why you want to be able to run the ball and, and sort of take a little bit of the, the zip out of the defense as you wear them down throughout the, throughout the four quarters. Uh, you saw that last night if you watched the, the game with the Washington football team against the Seahawks. By the time the fourth quarter came around, Washington was just imposing their will on the Seahawks, pushing them around. That's what you want. That's what every offensive lineman wants to close out the game on offense rather than, you know, having your, you know, the, your, you're biting your nails on defense and watching the defense go. So, yeah, there, there's got to be great balance in your offense if your offense is going to be successful especially this time of year. You know where I saw that the most, Lincoln? 
to start overtime. Remember, uh, against the Bengals, where they ran 50-some-odd or 40-some-odd plays offensively, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs the week before, where they ran just over 50 plays uh, per game, which mm-hmm. is way off of what they normally do. Remember the, what the defense looked like in the fourth quarter, and it's the fourth quarter in both of those games where it just got away from the Raiders, and a lot of it, to me, was because the defense was dead tired. Now fast forward to Thursday, Lincoln. Remember how that defense came out in overtime and just made quick work of the Cowboys on that opening kickoff in, in overtime to get the ball back to the offense? We know where it all led after that. But the fact is that Raider, to, to, to illustrate your point, that Raider defense was in great physical shape at the end of the game, actually in overtime, to be able to do what they're capable of doing. Why? Because they weren't on the field as much as they had been the previous two games. No, they, they gave up some big plays that allowed Dallas to score quickly, but they weren't long, drawn-out drives. And much to your point, Vinny, when you think about the way that the, the, the Raiders' defense has shown up, I mean, that's really been one of the bright spots for the Raiders this year, the fact that they had a defense that can get off the field. You know, coming after losing the kick, you know, you losing the coin toss and having to get the ball to Dallas, you saw what they did with a kickoff return potentially with the special teams. That brought them back in the game. The last thing you can ill afford to have is, is a long ball. You saw that they were picking on Hayward Jr. with Michael Gallup and just go routes. Wasn't anything to it. Like I said, the vertical routes hurt you. So there are a lot of opportunities for the Raiders to fall, but they were able to come through and get off the field and give it back to their offense. And what it all means is that the Raiders are going to be playing some meaningful games. And here's Derek Carr talking about playing meaningful uh Derek Carr was talking about the fact that the Raiders are now going to be playing some meaningful games. Playing meaningful games. And, um, you know, it's something that um, we've gotten to do here a couple times. Uh, you know, and the one time we go to the playoffs, I break my leg and I don't even get to play. And uh, so that's, that's disheartening, but you, it's that drive, man. It's that thing that, that keeps staying in my heart, man, that uh, I just want to do it for this organization. You know what I mean? And so the fact that we're, we're right there, not where we want to be, um, but we're right there with a chance and an opportunity against some really good football teams coming up, um, some very capable football teams coming up. Uh, we know what's at stake. We know what we have to do. Uh, so hopefully we can, like I said, go on a run and get hot. Lincoln uh, Kennedy, I almost called you Lincoln Riley. You probably wish you were Lincoln <laughs> Riley right about now, as we all do yeah. with that contract. Yeah, the, the, pay, yeah, the payoff you got from Oklahoma as well as USC. Yeah, <laughs> right? how about no, that? No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Um, but uh, how curious, Lincoln uh, Kennedy, are you to see, um, you know, the Raiders are in a really good, what I think is a pretty darn good position right now. It's not the best position. You'd rather be, obviously, secure in your division or just more secure in the playoff race. Uh, but they're right there in the thick of things. How curious um, are you to see how Derek Carr uh, handles these last six weeks? Well, look, I, you, you, uh, I know players have said it before that they don't listen to the radio or they don't read the papers, but it, it, that Thursday night game, that Thursday game against the Cowboys was a classic reaction to what everything we were talking about for Derek Carr, how he wanted to look downfield and, and open up other opportunities, how he wanted to use his legs. I mean, he did that. He ran around the horn for, what, 22 yards? What was that, that long run that he had? I mean, so um, – I know that it can happen, and I know that they're capable of doing it. What I'm interested to see is if they can put continuous games together, consistent games together, instead of so so they have something to build on. Because those three games that they lost were a step backwards or a step against what they did. You know, with the penalties, the miscues, the 
Yeah, and the last thing you want to do is get somebody hurt, like like you said. You know, back in 2016 when I covered this team, and he was on his way to MVP caliber year, he got his leg broken in the second last game uh, against the, the Colts, and we ended up limping into the playoffs. So this is a team that has very good capability, Vinny, but they just have to keep everything together. Now they have to build on what they had. That was a very big win against a good football team in Dallas. No doubt about it. And by the way, um, what did you make of Jerry Jones, what he had to say? I don't know if you if you saw his comments uh, about the penalties and about how, um, you know, he called it throw it up ball where, you know, he just felt like uh, the, the referees were basically falling into the hands of what the Raiders were doing. Just throw it long and hope for a pass interference uh, call. Uh, I thought it was way more nuanced than what Jerry Jones is letting on because from my perspective, Lincoln, the Raiders realized that their that the Cowboys defensive backs were having a hard trouble or were having a hard time containing Deshaun Jackson, containing Zay Jones, uh, and also Hunter Renfro, he caught a long one as well. And when it got to that point, the Raiders were saying, well, if you can't defend it, we're going to keep attacking it. And from their perspective, if you're not going to be able to stop it, chances are you're going to try to do something to stop it, um, and that might cause some penalties, which it obviously did. It was a smart and prudent uh, tactic by the Raiders just to keep attacking in that way, and I thought it was a little sour grapes on Jerry Jones's part. To, to well, you know, we're, look, it, yeah, we're not, we're the Raiders. We're not going to complain about, you know, penalties going against us. It's very rare that the Raiders, that penalties actually go for us. But to be, to be honest, there were, there, there were very minimal ticky tack fouls that I would call. I Me mean, too. the ones, especially against Brown, the corner, they were blatant. They were obvious. He was holding. He was interfering. And that's against the rules. So look, everyone wanted to try to take a page out of what the Baltimore Ravens did in game one when it came to our receivers. They want to play them physical to allow the rush because they said the offensive line will break down. The rush will get there. You just have to hold up at the point. So just like people challenge uh, the, the Raiders' defense for vertical routes, that's what you can do with Deshaun Jackson, Zay Jones, and even under Renfro. Foster Moreau, the seam routes. Darren Waller, the, uh, the seam routes. You can go with those goal routes, and, and you're going to force people either to um, uh, to uh, penalize, be penalized, or they're, or, you know, or, or they're going to give up a big catch. So, yeah, that's called scheme. That's called coaching. That's called seeing that there's a vulnerability on a defense that you take advantage of it, that's football one-on-one. So, in other words, pipe down, Jerry. I mean, I guess yeah, exactly. I, I understand where, where he's coming from, and he's trying to plant the seed for the next game and, and for the remaining games. But I just felt like it kind of cheapened what the Raiders were doing, which I thought was really uh, well thought out, number one, and, and also well executed. You know, they were hitting on some big uh, routes. And to your point yeah. where, you know, uh, Derek Carr uh, allowed plays to develop and trusted his offensive line, the throw to Hunter Renfro, um, was first of all it was a great schemed out play uh, number one by Greg Olson and, and the staff, uh, but then also it was also very well executed starting with the offensive line, which gave Derek a chance to kind of look Hunter off uh, and then come back to him and make a, a great throw and a great catch. Everything started up front. It was well executed and well played and um, by the Raiders. But at, to your point, um, Lincoln, it also showed that. Derek was just willing to stand in there and let it develop and trust in his offensive line that they were going to give him the necessary time. And that right there is huge, Benny, going forward, because that's absolutely essential. Look, people are, or if they try to blitz him, they, Derek's already made him pay. He made it pay against Pittsburgh. He made it pay against Baltimore. made it pay against Miami in the earlier games. People blitz and they made it pay. If you're going to sit back and play coverage, you're going to have to allow things to open up. You're going to have to allow your receivers to run into routes. So you can't just go with your simple progression or your first uh, first man, look them off and throw a check down. So. 
That is absolutely key, and that's one of the things that I appreciated most about the Cowboy game because I felt he developed a confidence that he could do it. Can they replicate it, Lincoln Kennedy? Well, look, this Washington football team coming in has a lot of guts, and they might not have all the players, all the star power that they had early in the season. No Chase Young and other guys uh, like their uh, potent pass rush, but they're a team that will get after you and they can challenge you. This is going to be one of those gritty, you know, knockdown, slobber-knocker fights uh, between two heavyweights. That's what this is going to be in this game. They can get it done, but it's, there's going to be no finesse points in this game. they got to go out there and beat these guys. I agree, um, and I think it's a it's kind of a good challenge, I, I believe, for the Raiders. Um, you know, my thing is, uh, after the team that I saw on Thursday, if that team um, shows up on Sunday at 1 o'clock uh, against the Washington football team, I'm not saying this should be a decisive blowout win. I'm not. I'm, the, the NFL is uh, there's just too much parity to predict something like that uh, on any uh, week against anybody, no matter the opponents. But I do think Lincoln, this is a team that's beatable, um, and if the Raiders can play that clean, efficient football that we've been talking about now for a few weeks uh, and just remain there because they showed that, that they can get back to that against the Dallas Cowboys. I think this is a a game that the Raiders should be able to get. And when you start looking ahead, Lincoln, to the rest of the schedule, you got the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, you've got the Cleveland Browns, you've got the Denver Broncos, you've got the Los Angeles Chargers, you've got the Indianapolis Colts. I just named three teams or, or five teams when you talk about their division and their conference those are three all five of those teams are involved in one way or another in this playoff race and that's where we talk about Lincoln having some control of your destiny if the Raiders can navigate these next six weeks and really that that five weeks after the Washington uh, football team uh, comes comes through at Legion Stadium they're gonna be in a really good position uh, to punch their ticket to the postseason well, mark my words on this Tuesday, Vinny. What's going to have to happen in this Washington game is the Raiders are going to have to figure out with their defense how they can scheme against a tall tight end and a good tight end because the Washington football team has a good tight end. And right now we've shown that we can't stop a good tight end in the middle of the field with the defense scheme. So this is a big test because the five remaining teams all have good tight ends and a good center middle field scheme. And that's going to be big against the defense pushing forward. So we know what the offense is capable of. We can talk about that at nauseum. It's the defense getting some more critical stops. We're not going to always be able to apply pressure. Teams are going to come in and dink and dank and short route these guys because they know that they play a little bit of a soft zone, much like Seattle played against the Washington football team last night. And you saw how they were able to take care of the football and march down the field time and time again. So this is a big test going forward to see how the defense can make up for some of the shortfalls. I agree. Uh, I think the one difference is the uh, Las Vegas Raiders can get after the quarterback, and they've shown that time and time again. Better than the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, they're going to have to do it uh, on Sunday, uh, but uh, if they're able to get uh, some pressure, the kind of pressure that they've been getting uh, on quarterbacks consistently all year, I think that's going to be a a marked difference. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, you've got to also worry about the run. Washington football team is a good running football team. And right now, the Raiders still have issues with the perimeter, the stretching, the stretch plays on the outside. They still have some issues with that. Dallas gassed them a little bit, not much, because they want to rely on Ezekiel Elliott for some reason when it seemed like Pollard was running much harder. He should have been the back, the future back. But, hey, that's, that's not my team, so I'm not caring. But, uh, but, but, yeah, the Raiders have still got to figure out that perimeter run, that stretch run that Washington is going to try to do because that sets up their play action to allow them to look down the field, especially in the middle of the field. 
Well, uh, not to be all simplistic about it, but if you look at Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard, follow the money. Uh, that's probably a, play, <laughs> a big deal in uh, in who gets yeah. the most carries, uh, rightfully or, or not. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonster and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. And Lincoln, um, our great producer, Devon Cotton, and I were just having a... uh, a, a good conversation about uh, all these coaching changes that are going on in college football right now uh, and right. the timing of it all and, you know, what it means, the impact on recruiting on, you know, for, for Notre Dame, you know, your yeah. quasi in the playoff hunt, even though I think it's going to be a tall order for them to, you know, we just saw the, the latest rankings, they're sixth and, you know, there's teams behind them and in front of them that I think have a, almost a clearer path to the playoffs. But even if they were even in a more solidified uh, position, I, Lincoln, and I'm gonna. I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't begrudge these coaches leaving, um, and the timing of it all. The timing to me is never right. No matter what time of the calendar you're in, you're gonna get criticized for leaving. Whether you, it's in January after you sign your recruiting class, or right before the season, or during the, whatever the case might be, you're gonna get 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 criticized. Um, and I just feel like when. A guy like Brian Kelly, a guy like Lincoln uh, Riley, when somebody makes that kind of an offer and presents a challenge that maybe you're ready for, a new challenge that you're ready for, and the kind of money that you're talking about, um, I don't begrudge these guys for leaving. And I think all these programs, Notre Dame included, the players that are there in that locker room, they're they're kids. They're resilient. They'll be able to to respond and make the best of a situation. But I want to ask you because I'm I'm getting I see all this outrage. I think it's fake outrage from the media on social media. Um, how could you do this and blah 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, you would probably do the same thing if somebody offered you ten years and 105 million dollars at a great school like LSU or USC. Well, I would say this, um, and and it's different context for both the universities. But to see your point. I don't, I don't blame them. I don't fault them either. Look, for SC, SC is a top-five job. I don't care how you look at it. SC is a top-five job. This is USC football, one of the pronounced you know, uh, 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 schools in the country and, and one of the pronounced football programs. So if you, make, if you put SC on the top, just like Oklahoma, the, the world is your oyster. It's, very, it's that simple. Um, so that, I, that makes perfect sense. It was, I was serious about the buyout that SC had to do to get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, but hey, you know what? It's it, it's it is it is what it is. Right. As far as as far as Notre Dame, Notre Dame's one of the biggest brands out there, but Notre Dame has very stringent recruiting uh, practices. They don't go every place like a lot of those SEC schools go to recruit guys. They won't allow. They won't have certain allowances to allow some of those guys in. So I honestly feel that Brian Kelly felt that no matter how good of a team I put together, I'm never going to ever beat one of those. They got beat down in the, in the in national championship a few years back, and they haven't been able to survive the playoffs. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, you can't beat them. It was a matter of you might as well join them. I think Brian Kelly has a creative mind. Uh, LSU is part of the SEC, so he can go and recruit those guys like a Georgia, like an Alabama. And if he's able to take the accolades that he established from uh, Notre Dame over to the L- LSU or the SEC, then he's going to be in the conversation with guys like Saban and, and Rick all the time. You know what I mean? So – it's just a part of it. I don't mind those guys stepping up 
no matter where you're at, there's always some other place that you go to probably make a difference and be held in higher esteem. And for Lincoln Riley, SC, to me, it's Brian Kelly, it's LSU. Um, what about the timing of it all? Because it is in this season, and, and Notre Dame does have an outside chance of, of making the playoffs. My thing is, you know, I'm sure LSU told Brian Kelly, look, we got to move fast on this, and we're not going to wait. And if you're Brian Kelly and you're thinking to yourself, what, which is exactly what I think he was thinking, is exactly what you just said, which was, man, I could go to LSU and I can really compete with a, uh, a Nick Saban on fair ground, on equal footing, because I'll be able to recruit the same exact kids that he's yep. able to recruit, and and I have, I'll put myself in a better position for it to be just, you know, wits, coaching, scheme, uh, who's got their team uh, prepared on equal footing, and if. LSU is telling you, I'm not going to wait. We're not going to wait. We need a decision right now. You know, I, I, I feel for the kids in that locker room, but if I'm Brian Kelly, I, I don't feel like I, I have to do what's right by me as well. Well, what's the trend that we've seen over and over, you know, when it comes to locker rooms and bowl games? Like, yeah, we're pushing the end of the season. Most most schools are finished playing their season. They're looking if they have a bowl game. They're looking to see if they're eligible, what they can get and stuff like that. But now we've seen the trend where players mark out of bowl games where they don't want to play in bowl games because they want to look about their draft status or their life after college football. And I understand from a coach's standpoint, recruiting starts now. Right. I mean, the, the, the fact is that when you got to go to a kid's house, you got to get in front of a kid, no matter what program you what brand you're bringing in there, you've got to get an early start because these kids are now weighing their options of where they're going to go. These high school championships are starting to happen, and for a lot of states, they've already happened. And now these guys are making their decisions of where they're going to go. Sometimes... The coach is the glamorous name that's going to get them. You know, um, they look for what it's worth. Alabama goes into kids' houses and they said whether they're, they're Nick Saban or not. They say, "Look, we'll have your kid in the league in three and a half years," and they've they've done that. Clemson, Ohio State, they're, they've all done that. So if you're LSU or if you're at USC, you want to be able to do that. And for Lincoln Riley, he had a number of guys that decommit from uh, from Oklahoma. There might be a chance that they they can come there, see, help him. Going forward, they just got the quarterback, the uh, the kid from Los Alamitos, just committed to oh, USC, who was yeah. committed to Oklahoma. And here's here's what I'll also say, Lincoln, uh, because I think this is a, a pertinent and interesting conversation right now. Is um, I, I might feel a little bit, you know, worse for the kids, uh, but I think they've. I think college football has finally done right by the kids with this transfer portal to allow, hey, if something like this were to happen and your coach leaves, whether it's by firing, which that happens too, um, or they leave for a better job or whatever the case might be, hey, you have an opportunity to be able to move yourself. You have flexibility now to move yourself, and kids are now allowed to make some money off of themselves uh, and and you know, uh, and, and what they bring to the table uh, in terms of sponsorship and, and advertising and, and what, they, what they could mean to a company that wants to pay them a little money uh, to, to support you know, or, or sponsor whatever it is that, that, that they're doing. So in my mind, it makes it a little bit more uh, palatable that, hey, um, if you're if you came here specifically for that coach, you have a chance if that coach leaves to be able to move on uh, very easily and without losing a whole bunch of eligibility. Um, so that that outlet is now available to players. The NIL I do appreciate. I think it's long overdue the fact that they can use their likeness and their image to make money off of and, and secure their future if they, if they financially if they want to do that through that. I, I'm certainly happy with that. I've never been a fan of the transfer portal. And the main reason is because I think it's amateur free agency. And more importantly, I think the fact that the schools don't get that scholarship back. So if, if I decide I want to go to SC, I get to SC and all of a sudden I don't like the campus, 
I and then I want to take myself to UCLA. SC doesn't get that scholarship back. So it goes to there's one less scholarship that goes to someone. I think they need to sort of tweak that rule, find a way to tweak that rule, maybe get that scholarship back. I don't mind guys having the options of like a free agent to go where they are, but I've also been one of those guys, if you make a commitment to a place, you sign a contract with a place, see that contract through. At least give the undergraduate degree. If you want to go as a graduate transfer, that's different, but I don't like the transfer portal at all. Lincoln, you've been a part of your own recruiting process uh, and obviously your son's recruiting process. Um, There's a lot of talk about, you know, these coaches make this, you know, I promise you that I'll be here um, for the duration of your stay here. To me, that seems a little bit unrealistic, and I I don't know if that's what coaches are telling kids uh, or if they're a little bit more upfront about, hey, I can't promise all of that because I don't know. I could get fired. Uh, Some other opportunity might come around. Uh, You know, you don't want to, like, oversell it that there's a possibility that you might leave. But I think there's a little bit more, I would hope anyway, and you're better qualified to answer this question than I am, a little bit more frankness in terms of when that question comes up. From your experiences as a player that was recruited and as the father of a big-time recruit, what are those conversations like and how honest or dishonest are coaches when it comes up? Well, look, here's the thing. If a coach is the selling point for a program, something's wrong. There should be a program that's established, and a coach is like an addict, a cherry. Did you follow my point? Yes, it's absolutely. Like, it's, it's like it's like icing. It, the, the coach, the coach is like a, a used, used car salesman. You should be interested in a car before you're interested in who's selling it. So, what I implore people to do, especially parents to do, is ask more questions. A lot of things are different from when I played, even when Zach went through college, because I told Zach the same thing when he was considering SC. I he he came up to me and he said, "Look, SC's recruited me hard." And I don't know if I really want to go there. I like Oklahoma, and he had a couple other places on. I said, SC is a tremendous school. You'll get a top-rate education at a private school. You cannot go wrong with SC. But I'm going to tell you, Lane Kiffin will not be there your entire time there. And I knew that for him, right. for sure. I knew that Lane Kiffin wasn't going to last. So I told him, Lane Kiffin shouldn't be the one that sells the program to you. You need to think, you need to think about outside the box. So what I implore more parents to do in this position is ask questions. If the coach is the selling point, to your kid, ask the question. So, where do you see yourself in five years? Because for me, Don James didn't retire until after I left to get in the program, and he was forced out by Barbara Hedges and people from the, uh, after the probation. But he was there for 17 years. You don't see 10 year coaches like that anymore. So, if, if parents are going through the recruiting process and a coach is the selling point, then you need to ask those questions. Where do you see yourself in five years? If my kid comes here, where do you see yourself in five years? And that coach should be able to look you in the face and say, well, you know what? I either answer it securely, and if he doesn't answer it securely, that should tell you something about him. All right, well, you see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, no question about it. Um, what what is the typical response? I mean, are 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 coaches are coaches BSing about that, or are they being upfront? I would hope that they're being you know a little bit honest. Like, son, I can't tell you that necessarily. And 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 kind of I, if if it was me, the coach, I would I would. I would, um, you know, uh, take your approach, which which is don't come here because of me. You know, this right. I might be our reason that you come, but make it about the school and about the commitment uh, to this campus and this lifestyle and this part of the country and and this program. Not necessarily about me, but I'm asking you if you've asked those questions before. Right. Uh, what was the general response that you would get from coaches? Was it BS or was it openness? Most of the time, most of the time is BS. Is BS. But, but again, you know, we, we've come through a time, Vinny, and we're around the same age. Once upon a time, 
programs used to sell themselves, but not only back in or the the, the programs how how established they were or how uh, successful they were, but what they offered at school. I mean, you did, you know, people who went to Purdue University wanted to be engineers. You see what I'm saying? So th- these are these are things that that used to run in line. It's no longer the case now. If you're being honest with yourself, you look at the you look at Alabama's roster, and you say that they have they have blue chippers, five star chippers, however you want to look them sitting on the bench waiting for their turn. Why is it? Because Alabama goes in and says if they're recruiting your son, he's going to be in the National Football League in three years. And they've done that. So that's their selling point. You see what I'm saying? It's not about Nick Saban. It's about the fact that this program is going to put people in. And Nick Saban is the added cherry on the chop because he's been that pillar of stability. But most of the coaches that I've seen and talked to, they're like, well, I like it here, uh, but you know what? I, I can't honestly say where I'm going to be at in five years because – they might not like me. I mean, they, they kind of BS around it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But again, that's my point where the, the, the program, the school, the, the opportunities that you have as a young individual should sell it. The coach should be that adding, that icing on top of the cake. I agree. And I also think um, kids today are a little bit more savvy, I think, uh, than maybe, you know, uh, a generation yeah. ago. And, and I say that because we see it. We see coaches leaving. We see coaches moving on. We see coaches getting fired. Um, you know, there's, there, there's a transient nature to division one sports that is pretty obvious. And if you're, if you're caught off guard by that, um, that's, that should be on you more than anything. Like you, you have to know that that's a possibility. Just look. And when you look at kids today, Lincoln, we're talking about kids that go from travel ball team to travel ball team, uh, sometimes from high school to high school. Um, we see that all the time and I'm not begrudging the the kids for doing that. They have the right Right. to do that. If that program is offering a better opportunity for you, it's, it's like this to me. I've always said this, if that grocery store across the street doesn't have the kind of Parmesan cheese that I like, I have every right to go a mile away and and find a, a store that does have the Parmesan cheese that I like or whatever it is. And, and to me, if you're a good football player or baseball player or violinist or uh, somebody in, in, in theater, whatever the case might be, if your school that's across your street or in your boundary doesn't offer um, you know, or live up to the expectations that you have, you have every right to go someplace else and find a program or high school that does have that. So even kids nowadays are living in that kind of a world where bouncing from school to school or travel ball team to travel ball team is pretty common. So the thought that a coach is going to be there the entire time that you're there is almost unrealistic. And they're, I think they're more braced for that possibility. Well, I mean, I, I agree with the argument where you should have the option, but my thing is this, is that I've seen it happen way too often. Uh, a quarterback signs with the university and he comes in and he's not starting as a freshman. So he's taken off. Oh, what, whatever happened to working for something? or trying to dethrone the, the, the current starter. I mean, it, it, it really is the coach who's talking out of the side of your neck if you say a true freshman could come in and start right away. I mean, that, just, that rarely happens. It right. happens, but it rarely happens. So, you know, you talk about, uh, you talk about Rattler, the quarterback from, uh, from Oklahoma. Well, obviously he's transferring now because they've got a young guy who's coming in, and he's got very few years of eligibility left. He's transferring now. But, you know, whatever happened to working for it? I've seen way too many players just leave because – they're not getting their shot, or when they get their shot, it's not enough, or they're not playing, so they're leaving for another university. And like I said, my issue with the transfer portal is that the schools don't get that that scholarship back. So there's one less person who can get a scholarship while this other kid just decides to dance around and take it from other people. Yeah, and you know, on the f- uh, couple flip sides of that, number one, uh, for me, um, 
you know, I think quarterback is is such a unique position because there's only one. I mean, you talk about offensive linemen, there's five, and there's two tackles, and guys get hurt, you know. So uh, linebackers, there's multiple linebackers, there's multiple defensive line uh, spots, there's multiple cornerback spots and safety spots, and you know, uh, dime, you know, cornerbacks, all of that. On a football team, there's one quarterback. Um, and so if you're doing the math and if you're reading the room correctly, sometimes you figure out, maybe it's early, maybe it's a little bit into it, like, you know what, they're going with the other guy. That's, it's not that I'm afraid of competing, but I see where this is headed and I need to think about myself and I need to find a better opportunity where I'm going to give, be given a better opportunity to realistically compete for the job. So on the quarterback end of it, um, I'm not so worried about that. Uh, as far as the scholarship being given back, here's here's the one thing I do worry about from because I think coaches might use that a little bit where they may come to a guy and say, "Look, you're not getting it done." Um, I would highly suggest you um, utilize the the transfer portal because I want that I want that scholarship back. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I wonder yeah. if the reason why they're not letting the scholarship. Uh, you know, uh, be retained is because they worry that coaches might utilize it for their benefit more than the player's benefit. Well, I mean, look, there's ways that you can work around it. I think there's a deadline that you have to, if you know, by law, there's a deadline where you have to have all your scholarship athletes signed up uh, the national letter, the intent day. It has to be done by then. And you can't refute it. You can't go back. I, I, I hear what you're saying that coaches might abuse it, but I just think right now there are a lot of players who are abusing it from dancing around from school to school. Because now when you look at college football, just like college basketball, super seniors and guys that are playing six, seven years in college, there was, Benny, I did a game, I think it was Arizona versus Colorado, where there was a four-year sophomore playing for one of the teams. <laughs> right. And I was like, a four-year sophomore? I said, where can I sign up? I love college. Where can I sign up for that? Program? I know. So, I think I know, got some eligibility left. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, from super seniors and all that other stuff, there's, there's all these guys that use it. And look, I get it. Guys want to try to get exposure, try to get another chance, maybe to go to the next level. I understand that. I get it. Um, and you want to you want to try to do everything you can to, to be seen to get an opportunity at the next level. I understand it. But no matter where you go, no matter how many times you jump around, the percentage of you going from a college athlete to a professional athlete is very slim. Not to say it's impossible, but it's very slim. So you know, just like uh, Hanky, the, the quarterback who's coming in from uh, uh, from the Washington football team, he was undrafted out of Old Dominion. And he, he played his butt off just to get noticed, and that's how he was able to win the starting position because the Washington football team is without a quarterback. Now, he might have worn himself a roster spot even if the Washington football team lets him go in the future. He worked through it. So, I mean, those are ideals. Those are situations to me that say the system can work if you stay with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then there's another example, and maybe this is the outlier, but um, you know, probably the greatest uh, um, senior re- or senior transfer graduate under undergraduate uh, senior transfer in the history of college football was Russell Wilson. He's over at North yeah. Carolina State, and um, you know, the the but he wanted to stay too at North Carolina yeah. State, but he also wanted to play baseball. And the the North Carolina State ba- uh, football coach said, "No, you're not playing baseball. It's got to be one or the other." And, and Russell's like, well, I kind of want it. And then he's like, no, you're not going to do it. So uh, you're out of here. And so he ends up at Wisconsin for one year. Uh, and that's where the legend of Russell Wilson really emerged. He leads uh, them to a Big Ten cha- I think a Big Ten championship, but for whatever the case was in those, you know, yeah, back, back then. Yeah. They go uh-huh. to the Rose Bowl, and he's spectacular. And he ends up, you know, uh, obviously 
that created his path to the NFL. So uh, it is interesting to look at it from all different ways. But, you know, I, I, I appreciate the flexibility that players have now, um, especially in light of the fact that these coaches are moving around so much. And there's so much TV money, uh, Lincoln, that is available for these schools. I mean, think about it. Mel Tucker, you know, gets close to $100 million after a couple good years at Michigan State. I applaud it. I think it's great. Then they, you know, USC backs up the Brinks truck for Lincoln Riley to take him from a great job in Oklahoma. Yeah. It's not a bad job yeah. at all. But they're going, we're going to give you whatever you want. Um, just come here, coach, with with us. And same thing happened with LSU and and Brian Kelly. So all this money that's being infused now from the TV contracts that just go up and up and up and up. I think you're going to see this uh, more and more um, because well, we. We're... Well, that's why universities got to get in line with NIL. I mean, you think about it, you know, there are a lot of universities that don't. I mean, look at Oregon and Thibodeau. I mean, he's got his own cryptocurrency. He's also got a, a situation set up, I think, for six figures with, a, with an airline. That was all NIL, selling off the likeness. He's likely to be the number one pick of the draft, and, and that's what the future of sports, especially the collegiate side, uh, is going for. Now, I'm also for athletes getting paid because I think the money is so magnanimous in college, but at the same point, there's got to be some way of doing it. I'm a type of parent who's more inclined to want to add, to have a, a provide a, a, a sort of stipend for a, a, to, to get an education, like it's some sort of, you know, the, the pay comes at the end of you graduating. When you graduate with your undergraduate degree, if you committed to a university, you play your time there, then you get a, you get a, you get a, a payoff, a bonus. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not a, the, the math whiz, but people can figure it out based on your time there and your contribution to the program, especially when you talk about some of these football programs, what they bring in. Hell, LSU not too long ago, if I were, my numbers were mistaken me, LSU made about their football program brought in $85 million not too long ago. That's their football program, not the other ones, just their football program. And for places like that, that is their main breadwinner. I know it goes out to the other, uh, to the other athletics. I get it. But don't, you're not going to tell me those players aren't seeing none of that. I know, exactly. I'm glad that uh, they're starting to see uh, at least some money, and I hope that yeah. we get to a point where they see a little bit more uh, from the colleges and from the NCAA or whoever uh, is in charge of that. Before we go to break, all right, uh, you're a Pac-12 guy. Um, you yeah. played in the Pac-12. Your son played in the Pac-12. Yep. Uh, Lincoln Riley to USC, I think, changes everything for USC, but also the conference. I think when USC, and I know this, you know, you have some USC uh, bloodlines now with your son having played yeah. there. I know you're a Washington yeah. guy, but in yeah. general, uh, I think we both can agree when USC is the top dog in the Pac-12, it forces everybody to play catch-up, and I think that raises the level of everybody's uh, play uh, when when there's that lead dog in place. And I think that USC fairly quickly is going to get back to that spot. But your thoughts on what Lincoln Riley is going to mean to USC and what it's going to mean to the conference? Well, it's huge because just like pro football, when teams like the Cowboys and the Raiders are relevant, it's good for the league. When college football, if USC is relevant, it's good for college football. There are main staple programs that are around, scattered around the country. Notre Dame is one. USC is one. Michigan, Ohio State, somebody from the Big Ten is another. Um, uh, Texas is another one. These are, there are schools that are scattered around the, the, the climate of college football, especially if they are perfect and they are relevant, it's good and healthy for the league. That's exactly what you're going to see with USC. I think it's a bold move. I think it's a great move for them. And you're right, USC is going to, it's going to be one of those people that I'm hoping could become a contender because that will help put the Pac-12 in respectability. I completely agree. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday.
You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Our thanks to Lincoln Kennedy, uh, who was only able to stay with us for about an hour today. He's got an event over at Allegiant Stadium tonight, so uh, we wish him well. Lincoln will be back with us uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, from 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, here on In the Huddle, uh, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And when we get back, uh, Bill Williamson, uh, the great reporter who covers the Raiders and the Rams uh, and the NFL and does it as good as anybody, uh, will be joining us to talk about where the Raiders are right now and where they might be headed. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday.